The following is recorded for Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Pastor Matt, and uh, welcome to the creek. So glad you're here. If this is your first time in your worship guide, amidst the pages of data going on in there, there's a, a communication card. We'd love to get some information from you so we could get some information to you about who we are as a church. And then, uh, you know, Trinity had a, th- those announcements on the back-to-school event. We had to move that because uh, they're going through some changes here at the, the preschool, and, and flexibility is our middle name. And uh, we want to be, help them, and they've got an event on the 3rd uh, that we want them to be successful. We want this business to be successful. Um, we want to be successful as a church, and I think being a good steward of our community um, is seeing businesses be successful as well. So we had to move that. So thanks for your flexibility. Um, also, thanks for your flexibility on our projector this morning. We're, we're doing the disco setting um, just to see, try that out, you know, see if that helps us in any way. Actually, I was just thinking during worship, um, it was distracting me a little bit, but uh, I was thinking it'd be great to go in the field behind the, the building and play angry rap music and just stomp on it. But um, that's just me. Um, but uh, next week, uh, a couple, just to reiterate, the, the agape announcement, um, I was there Thursday. Most of what I did on Thursday was get in the way, but let me say thank you to an amazing team of grilling. I ate 540 hamburgers and 40-something hot dogs, and those dudes, the, the, the burgers were, were perfect in salt from the sweat that was dripping on it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Kind of, but not really. No, but I'll say this. I'm, I'm not going to burn you on this, but we had one of our creakers there this week with a one-month-old and a papoose serving, so I really felt convicted. I don't know if you should, too, because you got nothing. I mean, you got no excuse greater than that, but um, no, it was, an, it was an amazing time. We had a great time, and uh, then next Sunday, there we have this big announcement, huge, enormous. I don't know how to, to, to say it any bigger than that, and please... Don't ask me about it today because I want you to hear it next week because if I told you today, I'd have to kill you after service. So <laughs> then it's just pointless, right? Um, and it's not anything like I'm leaving and handing the keys to Trinity and say, here, you know, change the oil every 3,000 miles. Um, it's actually some just really great things regarding our next steps and our future as a creek, very exciting things. And uh, some of those details are going to evolve this week, but we wanted to go ahead and communicate it to get it on your calendar. You do not want to miss next week and as we communicate some amazing things. Um, above all else, our mission as a church is to glorify God through lives changed by the message of Jesus. Um, we've seen that become a reality here um, we've seen that happen. We've seen lives change. I'll be honest with you. I was a Christian before we launched the church. That's good news. Um, <laughs> but my life has been changed as a result of following Jesus even closer and, and stepping through this, this whole thing with the creek. And it's been an amazing thing. And uh, we're transformed for a purpose. I know a lot of times we start to kind of get reflective and think, well, what is my bigger purpose? What am I really supposed to do? We, get, we kind of start tripping up over things. And, and God has a purpose for each one of us. God has a purpose for us collectively as a church. Uh, you hear me say this just about every week. Our purpose is to make Jesus clear and love people. And we're going to see that played out in Scripture today with the Apostle Paul. Um, this, is, this is Paul's first public message that he gives and uh, we've been in the book of Acts about 
wow, it'll be eight months next month, man. Can you believe that? Eight months in the book of Acts. We're not in a hurry. Um, but uh, this is first public message. Public speaking is at the top of most people's fear list. Um, it ranks up there with dying spiders and for us boys talking to girls. Public speaking is still one of those things that I get scared with. I still get nervous every week. I mean, when I'm driving here, I'm, I'm, I can feel the butterflies. I mean, the, as, as the last song's happening and Ryan's saying, welcome to the creek, let's greet each other, that whole flustering goes through my system like, you know, that, that, those nerves and it locks in. And I, that, for me, that's healthy because it helps me realize that I'm carrying a much bigger message than my voice box can give. Um, the weight of what I teach is so vital. Um, and it's not putting an importance on me. It's an importance on the message that God has given. Paul does the same thing. Paul's getting ready to step out and give a, a, a public message. And um, he's doing it. What you're going to see in this is that he loves people. We have to love people. When we love Jesus, we'll love people. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I dealt with a lot of baggage uh, through my late teen years with the church. And I went through this phase... Um, of I like Jesus, but I don't like the church, or I love God, but I don't like the church. And God dealt with me um, pretty severely on that later in my life. Uh, and here's the way I can, I can tell you how he dealt with me. Um, I love my wife. My wife is, is she is uh, higher on my priority list than this church. Um, your, your spouse should be higher on your priority list in this church. The only thing that should be above priority with your spouse is your relationship with God. My relationship with God is priority. My wife is second. My kids are third, and you come after that. If you came to me and said, Matt, we love hanging out with you. We love you, but we hate your wife. We're going to have problems. Um, You and I aren't going to hang out. We're not going to get along. I'll love you, but I ain't going to like you. Um, and we'll put it that way. Jesus dealt with me in that regard. He said, look, you can't love me and not like my church. You can't love me and hate my bride. You know, and he dealt with me on that. If we love Jesus, if we say that we love Jesus, we love God, then love for people is going to be a result of that love. God pours his love into us not just so we can become reservoirs of love, it's so it can be a a conduit and flow. Jesus talks about streams of living water flowing through us and through him to the world. If if, Think of it this way. If if we don't get water flowing in, we're going to become dry. If we get water flowing in and it just stays there, it's going to become stagnant. So this love that God pours on us is so we can then become uh, people who walk through life loving people and making Jesus clear. We see that with Paul. Uh, Paul, man, Paul had a transformed life. Paul Paul made the connection. Now, we use this this passage very cutely in weddings. It's called the love passage. Love is patient, love is kind. And it, it fits well in weddings because it talks about love. But here's what Paul's really talking about. We can do all of this stuff, and if we don't have love, it's just noise. We can serve the poor. We can feed the hungry. We can go visit the lonely. We can take care of the sick. We can do all of these things, but if we don't have love, it's just noise. I mean, we go to agape and we serve. If we don't have love, it's, it's just noise. It's just, 
in, in, the, in the way the world works, it's just static. And Paul connected these dots that, hey, love has to be foundational for what we do. Everything we do is in the name of love. We love God, therefore we love people, and we want to see that purpose played out. Does that make sense? Are we tracking with that? So Paul got this. If you, if you look at Paul's transformation, his heart was of stone. I mean, here's a man that when we first meet him in Scripture... He's breathing venom against the church. He hates the church so much and Christians so much, he feels it his, his religious duty to exterminate the Christ followers, those who claim Jesus is the way. And we see Paul, he was called Saul. We see Saul overseeing the stoning death of Stephen, holding the clothes, and then going on a mission to destroy the work of the church. While on that mission, the God just, he shows up in a big way. I mean, all of us have a testimony, or I hope you have a testimony, or maybe this morning God's leading you to that testimony of that intersection with Jesus. I mean, everything we do at the creek, we want you to intersect with Jesus, and and we have a story. We all have a story. Paul's is pretty amazing. He's on the road to Damascus to go persecute the church, and Jesus shows up, blinds him, big light. I mean, that didn't happen in my life, but then Jesus is like, what's up, Saul? Why are you persecuting me? I'm, I'm translating that loosely. Why are you persecuting me? Saul's life has changed. His heart is broken. This heart of stone turns to a soft heart that loves people. Paul even says that he loves people so much that he would prefer he die and go to hell than for people to miss out on it. I mean, to go from that type of transformation to where you have a man that hates these people to go to saying, hey, I'd rather die for them so that they can experience the life that I know. That's transformation. We're transformed to live this message, to live this life, to then be used by God in transforming the hearts of other people. Paul just didn't get transformed and go hang out in a church and go, okay, God saved me, now I need to go find a good church, and I just need to sit there, and I need to be discipled until Jesus comes back. By the way, discipled isn't transferring of information. Being discipled, living a a life of a disciple means actively engaging and pursuing in the following of Jesus so that we live the mission, we live the gospel, we we move through it, we, we act in it, we create... Uh, actions with it, the gospel becomes central to everything we do. And we don't just sit. If that, was, if that was the case, we'd see this great conversion of Saul. He gets his name changed to Paul, and then we're like, and he was a faithful church member till the day he died. We'll miss a lot of the New Testament if that's the case. So he's transformed, and then God sends him into, into motion. So we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 13, Um, And we'll start in verse 13. We've got a lot of scripture to cover today. We'll get through it on time. Trust me. (laughs) Trust me. The pastor telling you he's going to get through this on time? Really? Seriously, trust me. Um, I don't have my countdown clock going, so you're in for it today. Verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian, Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. 
After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Let me help you with the way church services happened in this time. Um, in a Jewish synagogue, they would gather. Um, there'd be the mingling. I'm not sure if they had the coffee bar like we had or not, but um, they would read from the law, which would be one of the first five books of the Old Testament. They would read from the prophets, and then they would call on somebody to bring a message of encouragement and kind of linking those things together. Imagine that. Imagine us showing up and we have praise and worship, and I'll get up and I'll read this, and I call on one of y'all to come give the message. <laughs> That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? We'd have an empty church next week. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, yeah, I think we're going to visit some other churches. I'd be with you. Um, and so Paul and his crew roll into town. They're, they're, these are Jewish men. And they roll into the synagogue. They do what's the custom. And then they get called on and they said, brothers, if you have a word of encouragement, bring it to us. Okay, when you love people, you become an encourager. Who does he have with him? Barnabas. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. He's like, oh, I got this. I mean, they were prepared. And so they start launching in. And then what happens is, is when you love people and you bring encouragement, love's going to lead us to find common ground. It's going to set, set the, the playing field equal here. So standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel you Gentile, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So what, what's going on is Paul's given, it, that, that right there, that's like the, the commercial. That's the tweet for the Old Testament. We'll say it that way. That's the Old Testament in, in, in tweet language. Paul is setting the stage and finding common ground because these men and women knew the history of Israel. And Paul's saying, hey, this is what happened. He's reminding them of the covenant God made with the nation of Israel, and then he's going to make a a connection here. You see, when we love people, we're going to find common ground. When you love people, when you work with people and you love them, when you live in the neighborhood with people, when there are people around you that God has connected you with and he's intersected your path and and their path so that he can communicate the gospel through you to them and you love them, you're going to find common ground. And it's not just going to be standing on a street corner in your neighborhood or downtown Fort Worth screaming the gospel. It's going to be an engagement that's fueled and motivated by the love of of Jesus and the love of people. And that common ground in this scenario was the Old Testament history of the nation of Israel. The common ground in the conversations you have, they may not be the history of Israel, but there's going to be common ground. When you love people, you're going to get where they are. Does that make sense? 
I mean, one of the gentlemen at, at Agape this week, after it was over, was walking out. And he walked up and he shook my hand. He said, I want to thank you for coming down and helping us. You didn't have to do it. All these men and women that came and helped didn't have to be here. And I'm thankful that you guys took the time to come down and be a part of this. I looked at him and I said, we do it because we love you. And he said, I love you too. When you love people, you find common ground, whether that's standing in front of a barbecue grill in a parking lot of a church downtown Fort Worth or standing in your driveway or sitting in the cubicle tomorrow morning, you're going to find common ground with people. But Paul just doesn't end there. He just doesn't give them a history. He's going to connect it with Jesus. See, here's the thing with the gospel. We've got to get it from personal to public, from private to public. There's a lot of us who are saved, but, but it's, there's nothing public about our faith. We, we just go through the motions, and we get to this point of going, yeah, I've got a testimony, and God has transformed my life, but we don't communicate that with anybody. We don't live as though our life has changed. We don't interact with people as though our life has changed. So it's got to move from private to public at some point, and Paul's going to make that connection. He starts with common ground and begins where his audience is, and he gets it to Jesus. From this man's descendants, he's talking of David, King David. From this man's descendants, God has also brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not that one. No, but he is coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. What he's saying is you read the words of the prophets. All of those things that the law was foreshadowing, all of the the prophecy that these prophets were given was pointing to Jesus. What Paul's communicating to him is, look, through the history of Israel, the plan of salvation has been in motion since the beginning of time. And everything from, from the beginning of history to the first Christmas was pointing to Jesus. If you think about it, the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. The Gospels are explaining the life and ministry and work of Jesus. And then the rest of the New Testament is pointing back to the cross and showing us how to live life as a result of the gospel, the good news. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. And so he begins and he tells them the gospel. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God promised our fathers he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, he's going to use scripture to support what he's saying. You are my son, today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessing, blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. 
For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. What he's doing is he's connecting the dots. You're looking to David as the example. You're looking for a military might in the Messiah. And Jesus is the Messiah that you've been waiting for. Everything that you're, the tension of your life and the Old Testament and the history that you come in here every Sabbath and recite and memorize and try to find redemption in these rules and these religious activities, all of that is Jesus. Don't miss the point. And he begins by saying, look, David died, and his bones are still in the grave. His body saw decay. The Holy One, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, did not see decay. That's the gospel. The gospel is he, he came to earth at the right time. He stepped on this earth. He was born as a child. He is God in the flesh. He is fully God, fully man. He was placed in humility in a manger. He lived a perfect life, and they found no cause to condemn him, yet crucified him on a tree. They laid him in a borrowed tomb and he was raised from the dead. What Paul's saying is don't miss this. See, I I think we've become numb in our culture to the gospel. And and I also think we have a way of desensitizing some of this and and thinking that, that this is just some event. Or we try to reconcile, did it really happen or did it not? Everything in human history before the cross points to the cross. Everything in human history since the cross points back to the cross. Everything that we look forward goes back to the cross because through the cross is the reconciliation of all things. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. All things will be made new. And so Paul is saying, don't miss this. The gospel is what you have been waiting for. And all of the tension that you come in here and wrestle through is here. And then he goes on, verse 38. Therefore, my brothers, and any time in Scripture you see the word therefore, you've heard me say this, and it's cute and funny, but you'll remember it. You need to look in the previous verses to see what it's there for. (laughs) Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus The forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. What he's saying here is this is for you. This isn't just something I'm here to tell you. Remember, they asked Paul to give an encouragement. The gospel is the most encouraging thing that the world has ever heard. The good news is this, is that through faith in Jesus, there's forgiveness of sins and freedom from guilt. Everything that you've tried in the law to break free from and you can't do it, Jesus did. And you submit to that. I shared the story last week of Mateo in Honduras. I'll never forget Mateo. Mateo, I met him on a, a, a Thursday. On Sunday, he came up to me in the public square. He's tugging on my shirt. I look at him, and he's like, Hola, Mateo, it's Mateo. He reaches in his pockets, and he gives me a pack of cookies. And I'll never forget this, because it just it struck my heart. 
this little boy gave me the sweetest thing he had. And the sweetest thing I've got is the gospel. The most encouraging thing I've got is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul, when they asked him to get up and give an encouragement, gave the sweetest, the best thing he's got. He didn't, he didn't hold back. He said, man, I'm going to give you everything I've got. Here it is. Everything you've been wanting, everything you've been waiting for, all the tension from Genesis 3 and the fall of man, Jesus is the answer. He's the solution. He's the sacrifice paid for us. He's the way for us to have reconciliation. All of the things that you've tried to justify yourself with and fallen short, Jesus justifies you. And the sins that weigh us down, there's forgiveness. What that forgiveness means is we're restored into a right relationship with our Father. There's freedom from guilt. Let me help you with something. There's a lot of Christians walking around with a lot of guilt. When you go through this process of confession and repentance, you're, for, you're forgiven of your sin and you're freed from guilt. You need to forgive yourself. And when it comes back, I mean, Christians get caught in this cycle of just the beat down nature of past sins. Here's something you need to remember. Your past is history. It's covered by the blood of the lamb. The sacrifice of Jesus covered that and has wiped that clean. God says, I will remember your sins no more. I've cast them as far as the east is from the west. Quit letting the enemy remind you of it. Conviction is going to come from inside. The Holy Spirit in us as a Christ follower is going to say, hey, there's something we need to check here. You got some issues with your behavior, your attitude. There's some activities you're doing that aren't glorifying God. Confession is this, God, you're right. I agree that this is an issue. And repentance is turning and putting all of our focus back on the glory of God, back on the sacrifice of cross, back on, God, I want to look more like you than what the world thinks I should look like. That's what conviction does. Guilt is from the enemy. It's external. It's the enemy whispering or shouting in some of your ears going, you're not good enough for grace. It can never be that easy that God would just forgive you. How can you ever forget what you did? Look at the destruction in your wake. He's going to try to heap you with guilt. Here's the reality. And we miss this in the gospel. Jesus was laid in a tomb and his body did not see decay because he was too busy to see decay. His physical body may have been laying there, but we are told in Scripture that he descended into the depths of hell and he went in and he defeated death, he defeated sin, he defeated the grave, he defeated the enemy, he walked out of hell with the keys. You don't step into hell and walk out with the keys without kicking some major tail. I mean, there was some serious scrapping going on while he's in the grave. And what he's holding the keys to are the ability for the enemy to heap that guilt on you. And Jesus is like, I got the keys to that. Why are you going to let him chain you up with that? Don't carry that. Let it go. Forgive yourself. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. They got invited back. 
When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Okay, so what's going on? They give this word of encouragement. Man, when people find a place to be encouraged, they're going to go. I mean, we look at growth strategies in church. I mean, I meet with pastors every week, and and we talk about church. We make fun of each other. We have a good time, and we pray for each other. And and here's what it comes back to. And and there's a lot of time and energy and all this in, in the church world spent on how do you grow a church. People go to, pastors go to seminars. How do you grow a church? Let me tell you how to grow a church. You speak the truth of the gospel. You don't tickle people's ear with what they want to hear. Here's the reality. I'm called to be your pastor. And one day I will stand before God, and all I've got to tell them about being your pastor is I spoke the truth of the gospel. I couldn't come up with the right words to help people have a, a great week but I spoke the truth of your gospel. Let me tell you something. Some of y'all are going to have a rough week this week, but the gospel's still true. Some of y'all are going to get the best news you've ever had this week, and the gospel's still true. I can't say one thing or another about how your week's going to go or, or give you three steps to how to be a better bill payer or how to be a better neighbor. I can tell you this. The gospel is true. Jesus loves you. Jesus stepped on this earth. He walked a perfect life. He gave his life on a cross. He bled and died for the salvation of us. He was placed in a tomb. He defeated hell, and he stepped out of that tomb victorious, and God glorified him. When we submit to that message, then he justifies us, and we will also be glorified with Christ. That's all I got to give you, ladies and gentlemen. And when I stand before God, that's all I'm going to be able to say. That's how you grow a church. Because you're not trying to grow a church. You're trying to grow the kingdom. You're trying to preach people that Jesus is the only thing, that he is the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only way to have life. He is the living water. Everything that this world provides is going to make us thirsty again. It's going to make us hungry again. It's going to create us to want more and more and more. And Jesus is the only thing that satisfies. And the whole town turned out to hear this. And then what happens is when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and, and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Let me tell you something. Jealousy is going to kill the rejoicing in the work of the Lord. When we get together as pastors, we rejoice in what God is doing. We don't go, oh, well, your church had more people than mine. What are we going to do? We love each other. We rejoice in what God is doing. Man, when, when, when somebody gives their life to Christ, do you realize there is rejoicing in the presence of angels? What that translates, God himself is rejoicing over a sinner that comes to the foot of the cross and says, I give my life to you, Jesus. You're my Lord and my God. If God's going to rejoice about that, don't you think we should? I, when I was a kid, man, playing games was a little, little hard for me because I always wanted to be the best on the team. And I'm not that good. So it meant if I got to pick the team, I'm not picking the team well. Because I always thought, here's a case in point, Little League Baseball. I wanted to pitch. But I knew if certain guys that were my friends, if they joined that team, they were going to get to pitch because they were better than I was. 
I knew if they joined the team, they'd be higher up in the batting lineup because they could actually hit the ball. All I could do is sacrifice my body and get to first base. I'll take one for the team. Are you worried about who God might save? Are you worried about who God might bring on his team because it might threaten your position? See, when we get caught in defending our position, jealousy is going to set in. And jealousy will kill the rejoicing of the work of the Lord. You know what? Kill it before it kills you. And so Paul starts preaching the gospel, and the gospel will lead to a response. It's one of two responses. Either people will receive the gospel or they will reject it. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first since you reject it. Or first, period. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. What he's saying is I came to the Jews first because God desired, you go back to Genesis 12, that through the nation of Israel, I want myself to be known through this nation. He's like, since you won't consider yourself worthy of salvation, you're, you're just walking away from this. We're going to the Gentiles, man, because God has commanded us to go to all the world. If you're a Christ follower, if you have professed Jesus as your Lord and your God and asked for his forgiveness and by faith, new life has been given to you and this grace has covered you, it's not suggested, it's not asked, it's not maybe. You are commanded to go and preach the gospel and make disciples. What are disciples? People who follow Jesus, not people who sit in church. I mean, we sit in church so we learn how to follow Jesus better, but man, discipleship is an active life. It's not a transfer of information. It's, it's, it's getting in and doing it. It's getting your hands dirty. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. I'm not going to say anything about that verse. I step in there. Just read it as you will. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Here's the reality. We're going we're gonna to live the gospel. We're going to share the gospel. We're going to tell people what's different about us. And it's not just, oh, well, I've been working out more. Oh, I'm doing this. Oh, I'm doing this. Oh, I'm reading this self-help book. No. Your life is transformed because of the gospel. And when people ask you what's different, it's Jesus. All the things that I tried to do, I couldn't get there, but God did it. And some are going to accept that, and some are going to reject it. Here's what our charge is. We love God. We love people, regardless of their response. I've heard stories that really make me want to vomit in my mouth a little bit about people who say, I will share the gospel three times with somebody. If they don't accept it, I'm done with them. And you're not loving people. You're looking for notches on your belt. Look at the people Jesus hung out with. How many of the people actually accepted the gospel? There wasn't a whole lot. We are called to love people 
share the gospel, and love them regardless of their response. Look at the rejoicing that's going on because lives are being changed. People are accepting it. People are rejecting it. We get so hung up on the rejection that it'll, it'll start to deflate our ministry and deflate what God's called us to do. Well, God, they're just not listening. I mean, think about it. We use this great verse for a missions verse in Isaiah, here I am, send me. Here's the reality. Do you realize what Isaiah was stepping into? His message was going to a people that wasn't even going to listen to him. Talk about rejection. But did he go? You bet he did. We're called to go. And it says that they shook the dust off their feet. Jesus told the disciples to do this. Shake the dust off your feet, man. Some of us need to get better about doing that. Don't do it too early. Don't do it too late. Some of y'all are shaking the dust off after three conversations. And some of y'all are letting it hang on so long it turns to mud and you're having to like scrub it off, you know. You're going up to the things, curbs and everything. Here's the reality. Here's the truth in that. When we share the gospel, the message of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, when we do that carefully and sensitively and with love, God does not hold us responsible for their decision. I qualify it sensitively, carefully, and in love. You don't go screaming in your office tomorrow morning, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, you sinners turn from your way. First of all, you'll be in HR by 9. You'll be in touch with the employee assistance program by 10. And you'll be fired by 2. You do it carefully and in love. And we do this all because we're fueled by love. The gospel has transformed us, gives us a new love for people, gives us a new love for God. And we continue in this mission. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the, this, this story of Paul. The, the, these events that we read about that are true historical events of, of the gospel being shared in love and lives being transformed. And we thank you that you've given us the same responsibility to share this gospel with the world around us. You've placed us I'm just reminded of what Paul later says in Acts 17, that you have placed us in the, in the neighborhoods and the times and in the families that you have so that we can be used for your purpose so that people can reach out and perhaps find you, God. So I ask that you give us a focus, give us a, a, just an intentionality with our life to not just be transformed, but to live as a result of that transformation. To, to live a message of the gospel. And I ask for your strength and your courage this morning to, to humble ourselves at the foot of the cross. And God, some of us in this room need to receive that forgiveness of sin. And we need to understand that all of the things that we've tried to do to save ourselves fall short. That it's simply just reaching out for you and in faith, your grace covers us and forgives us and breaks the chains of guilt in our life. And your love breaks through those walls. 
I pray that first, give us the courage and humility to bow down before the cross and say, Jesus, be my Lord and my God. I believe that you're the only power, that you're the only way for me to be forgiven and be free from guilt and to live a life that you've created me to live. Father, I pray that your love washes us Your grace pours over us. And let us move with intentionality, with a purpose and our responsibility to share the gospel, to be encouragers in every situation we walk into. Help us to love you. Help us to love people. Help us to make Jesus clear and help us to make the gospel very clear. We love you and we thank you and we trust you. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.